but no more iced tea infused beer next time please robert not on the podcast i'm no. I'm, I'm sorry dennis Welcome to the Pint and Pews podcast. We're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a pint, and listen in for the next hour or so. Well, we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Hey, buddy. Dennis, how you doing? I'm doing really well, Robert. Really well this week. As you know, we got super excited about our first guest, who we're going to meet very shortly. Uh, it's been about 10 episodes, but uh, you've organized our next guest, and I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with him for the next hour. Yeah, no, myself as well. Very excited to have this gentleman on the Pints and Pews podcast with us today. Like you say, after 10 episodes, where we finally kind of have a feel for, you know, confident enough in what we're doing that we can have uh, a guest with us here on the show. But before we can introduce this gentleman, uh, we need to make a correction from last week's podcast. Right. So, yes, I had a drinking a beautiful Polish lager, which I mispronounced as Tishke, and we were uh, corrected. We, we were very fraternally corrected. Fraternally, uh, yes. On that, uh, both a Polish colleague of ours at work, as well as a, a listener, uh, Robert Lichner, uh, got on the Facebook page and corrected us that it's not pronounced Tishki, but it's Tiskie. Tiskie. Okay, I'm not going to forget that now. So in, in amends, in reparations for that mistake, I decided to bring out another Polish lager with a smoky kind of finish, crisp, nice, beautiful beer, which I've drank quite a few times before. It's got a little, it looks like a little picture of Indiana Jones on the front there, but it's called Tatra. That's the way I'm going with it. It's only five letters. I can't mix i don't think i can mess that one up although i did butcher the polish language last week so we'll see if that's the correct pronunciation but it's a really good beer available in your local lcbo store i might add so robert uh please do let us know if we've gotten it right both the tiskia and the tatra Uh, and is as important as dennis's beer is to the show of even greater importance is our uh, guest this week, Father Matt McCarthy, the Vocations Director of the Archdiocese of Toronto. Father Matt, welcome. Welcome, Father. Thanks, guys. Robert, Dennis, good to be with you. It's great, uh, that, you would, it's great yeah, that you're here. Two very familiar faces um, from a few years past and, and more. So Yeah, so great. It, it, it's great to see you again, Father. And uh, Dennis has already shared with us what he's uh, drinking this week. So myself this week... I'm having from the Market Brewing Company, and this is, I think, the third week in a row I've had one of their beers, the Market Brewing Company, out of Newmarket, Ontario, my hometown. Uh, It's a Bloom Session Ale, which is brewed with tea from Blue Mountain Tea Company. Now, I was promised by the gentleman that I bought this from at the brewery that it is very close to an IPA, that if you like IPAs, you would enjoy this. Uh, but it's kind of like a, a beer with an iced tea infusion in that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to giving this a try. He says it's great on a, a nice hot summer's day. It seems like you're going back to those IPAs on a regular basis, eh, Robert? And you're, you're really in, in uh, going to a lot of the craft breweries, the local craft breweries, right? 
You know, exactly. And I think it's very important, especially with all the shutdowns that have been going on of late, that we need to go to the, the local craft breweries. We need to, to support the local businesses. And again, for myself, in the summertime, a nice IPA, cool, crisp IPA is, is what uh, I prefer to go to. No, I prefer the lager. What about yourself, Father? What, uh, what do you have this week? Yeah, nothing too, too exotic on my end. Uh, I'm just going with a Guinness. Getting in oh, touch Guinness. with my, uh, my quarter Irish roots, I guess. So as much as I like Guinness, I mean, I didn't really have too many choices because there weren't too many options in the fridge downstairs. <laughs> uh, just bought a thing. Uh, labels just come and go, you know. So I just picked this out. I didn't mind. I like Guinness. But as much as I like it, I always have to drink it with sort of an asterisk uh, next to that experience because I'm told that, you know, it's way better from the actual brewery in Dublin um, than it is here. So I, Father Josh Lobo, he's uh, was here at the cathedral for the past year. He's in Rome now, but he took a trip out to, to Dublin a couple of years back and he, he, you know, went on pilgrimage to the brewery and just mm. it's night and day, he said. So, but having said that, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, I you know what, Father? You, you you do have to get out there with a name like McCarthy. You will have to get out. And I was lucky enough to get to the brewery. But anywhere in Ireland that you have a pint of Guinness, it's just better. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. just a better drink. I know we have yeah. it in the bottle here. And I had a Guinness can a couple of days ago and it was good. But you're right. It's just it's just, just a step below the actual the pints on tap anywhere in Ireland, in your local village pub as well. But of course, in, in Dublin at the uh, the Guinness brewery is, is probably is, is fantastic and it's a great tour as well yeah and yeah. i just want to share one one quick story on that and again i haven't been to ireland i haven't been to the guinness brewery or, or a pub there but i have a friend who was and just before because we're going to ask father to do the honor of saying grace before beer uh, and just before we get to that uh, a guinness story i heard of a friend who as a university student was backpacking across ireland and he said one of the first things he said, I have to go to a pub and have a Guinness. They pulled the pint of Guinness. They put it in front of him. He reached out to grab it, to drink it. And they slapped his hand away. His hand. <laughs> it's a double pour. And it's like a two, three minute process where you can't rush that Guinness. Uh, being poured. Yeah, that's funny. And, that's so true. And you got to let it settle and, and all of that. So well, and, and, this podcast will be worth it because I know that now. So I know <laughs> to go to Ireland and, and play it. If you get anything from this podcast, you've got that bit of information, eh, Father? Okay. Father, if you could say the grace before beer for us, please. Absolutely. All right. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant, through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health body and peace and soul we make this prayer through christ our lord amen amen, amen. in the name of the father son the father and the son and of the holy spirit amen, amen. great cheers, cheers gentlemen father just before we begin what we usually do on the show is uh to borrow a line from marcus grodi in the journey home i we're just going to get out of the way right now and we're just going to ask you to maybe to step back you know, to your childhood or just to kind of begin your, your faith story and how you, you know, certainly got to the position that you're in now. Sure. Yeah. So my faith story is kind of unique in the sense that most faith stories that I've heard growing up, people giving their testimonies and things like that are a bit exotic, um, you know, and people have a thing about them. They have something that distinguishes them from the previous guy who gave their 
you know, conversion story or their faith story. I don't have a conversion story. You know, I obviously have a faith story, how I came to be where I am today, but I don't really have a conversion story in the sense that there was no, you know, big event that, you know, I was going one direction, totally one direction, and God intervened, and I did a 180, and now, you know, I'm following him as best as I can. So that really didn't happen. It was more of a gradual process for me. Um, I grew up in a, in, in a Catholic family. Both parents are... They're more than culturally Catholic. They, they obviously come from cultures that are very Catholic. So my dad um, is on his side, he's got the Irish. That's where the McCarthy comes from. So I, I'm Irish by way of Newfoundland. So that's where they settled in the past six generations they were there. And um, so I've got Irish on that side. My grandmother on, my, on that side was, was English. Um, so she converted actually to Catholicism when she married my grandfather. And surprise, surprise, actually, it's not much of a surprise. Uh, and we all kind of know stories like this. Uh, the convert in the family is usually the strongest uh, by, mm-hmm. when it comes to the faith, yep. you know. Absolutely. So that was my grandmother. She she just, you know, went wholesale into her faith. And, she, you know, her, her favorite, her, her patroness saint was St. Therese of Lisieux. And through that, my grandfather um, kind of got onto a devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux. And then when my grandmother passed away, it was just my grandfather. He continued that. And so, yeah, the faith was very strong on that side of the family. My mom's side of the family is from the Philippines. So as of today, I think the statistic is like 85% Catholic in the Philippines. And, wow. um, you know, they, my mom and her family didn't grow up in, in affluence or anything like that. They were more, you know, from uh, uh, less means, I guess, and not... I'm not saying that because of this, but certainly played a factor. They had the, they had a strong faith, you know, a really strong faith and a strong connection to each other. They all came to Canada in the mid '70s, and um, they're all musical. My mom's side of the family, they're all, they all they're all singers. Um, at least they sing. I mean, some of them play instruments and things like that. And they all formed a family choir at what's now my home parish, Our Lady of the Airways in Malton. And um, it's, it's an interesting story, you know? So my mom is one of three sisters in the family and all three sisters at the time were single when they formed the choir. Uh, but they didn't stay single for very long because um, guys started to join the choir. <laughs> and uh, so my, my dad was a piano, he played the piano and he sang some tenor, you know? So he's kind of offering his services to the choir kind of thing. Matchmaking Filipino Canadian style, I guess. So, but right you, you, the, day, right? the precursor to modern uh, Catholic dating, uh, right. online dating. So that's uh, he ended up uh, wearing a different medal. And that's uh, husband to my mom and, and father to me, which uh, I'm very blessed to call him my father and my mother to call her my mother because my dad, both parents, uh, like I say, are very devout but um, very complementary to each other. So my dad was the teacher, you know, he he knew the faith and he taught it to me in a way that was uh, tangible, that was accessible, that made sense and gave me, gave me a respect for um, the faith and a, re- and a love for my faith and the church and its teachings. My mom taught me to adore the Lord. Like she was the heart. You know, if my, if my faith has a heart, it comes from her. It's like Jesus getting his sacred heart from his immac- the immaculate heart of his mother kind of thing. Right. So that's, uh, that's how it happened to me. My mom was just very, has a simple faith, but but totally 100% trusting in in God in in His ways. Yeah, so I I grew up in that sort of an environment, but I didn't I, I didn't think about the priesthood very often. 
I, and I was just really fascinated just listening, uh, you know, into the role that both of your parents played in your, yeah. your faith formation and providing you a, a foundation for your, for your faith. Because I've read and, and heard in so many different places, especially the role of the father figure. Yeah, in the home. absolutely. Yeah. And if the, the father is faith-filled, if dad is faith-filled, then the children will generally follow suit. It's when dad is not as faith-filled or practicing their faith that you, you see the, you know, the children kind of will fall away from the faith as they, they grow older as they become yeah. adults. Well, you know, dad's not going to church. So why do, why do I have to go to church? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not really news that we like to hear, but it's the, the stats kind of bear that out, you know? Um, so it, my dad was definitely um, there uh, in more ways than one. He was there uh, not just in terms of teaching me the faith, but there, to, uh, to, attend, to attend my basketball games, my hockey games, my baseball games, things like that, right? So he was always there supporting me, and I always felt that. I was, uh, I'm very blessed because of that. Um, so, yeah, that's – so not only was it, you know, a complementary sort of a faith, dad was a teacher, mom taught me to love and adore the Lord, but complementary in terms of culture, too. Like, my dad, you know, both parents are from, like, opposite ends of the, the cultural spectrum, too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was very interesting growing up, you know. That's that's um, a good mix, Father. And don't forget the two really bedrocks of the faith in the Toronto Archdiocese, at least. You know, a hundred years ago, the Irish Catholics were were you know oh, yeah, built yeah. many of the churches. And today, as we, as we go to many churches in and around the, especially mine and you know Saint Bernadette's, the Filipino community is a bedrock of the faith in a lot of these parishes. And you probably noticed both the you know those things as well. Yeah, where there's a church, there's Filipinos. You know, there's a church out there's a church out in Yukon. Bishop Hector Villa is the bishop there. And first thing I told him before he went out there was, uh, you know, there's a Filipino community in Yukon. Yeah, <laughs> in the church. I did not know that. And he's like, yeah, and he's like, I, I knew about that. Yeah, word got to me too. So wow. <laughs> wherever there's a church, there's or where yeah, wherever there's a Catholic church, there's Filipinos and so we you know, fast great. forward to your high school and and did you did you feel a calling in in high school per se, Father? Or did that come a little bit later? No, I, not in an explicit way, not in any sort of conscious way. I'll get to this a little later on, but throughout my childhood, I didn't really think about becoming a priest. I mean, the only time that I gave it any, the only time that it crossed my mind, I'm not going to say I gave it any thought, but the only time it crossed my mind is when my childhood pastor, when he came into the sacristy before mass and he was vesting for mass and I had my altar server gown on, ready to go, he would always ask, how's my future priest doing, you know, with a smile on his face. Now, so I, have, I have to ask you, Father Matt, who was your childhood pastor? Yeah, so this is Father Alfred Grima. Okay. Uh, retired he now. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, know, I know the name. He's, he's, he's retired now, but he was, you know, he was so faithful in just having the sacraments available to us. Like every day he would, you know, um, even on his day off, nice. every day he would just have mass for us. You know, if it was one thing he could offer us throughout the, week, the day. It was mass and that, you know, that obviously played a role, maybe not a conscious role in my, in yeah. my discernment, but it was there for sure. Yeah. And another reason why I was asking that too, is you said you grew up at Our Lady of the Airways and I believe one of my so, yeah. priests from St. John Chrysostom in Newmarket, Father Terry McKenna, I believe he was there for a while. I don't know if hmm. that. He was. Yeah. So th there's a bit of explaining that needs to happen here because my home parish, yeah, was Our Lady of the Airways. Uh, I actually have two home parishes gets a bit complicated not, not to make a long story short it's not a juicy story anyway so you don't you're not missing much but my parents were married at our lady of the airways and i was baptized there but we lived in branton like that was where i that was where i grew up on, the, on a street in branton 
And the, the, the geographical parish to my house was St. John Fisher, which is where Father Alfred Grima was pastor. Okay. So okay. Uh, that's where I would go like on Saturday mornings for daily mass to serve. Sundays I was at Our Lady of the Airways with the family because they had the choir thing still going. And if it weren't for the pandemic, they'd be still singing the same choir today. 9 a.m. mass, 40 years, 50 years now. Wow. Know, wow. So testament to fidelity. You know? Yes. Yeah. So anyways, back to your question, you know, like uh, when did I start thinking about priesthood? Yeah. It, I mean, growing up, it was all about sports. It was all about sports and music. So that's what was on my mind. Girls sort of came into the picture in high school. But priesthood was nowhere on the ladder <laughs> in any conscious way, you know. So it, that was only until university, really. Uh, and maybe I'll get to that a little later on. But interesting uh, fact, I guess, not maybe that well-known fact, but I attended a school that was founded by a Protestant minister, by an evangelical Protestant minister. So it wasn't a Catholic school. It was a private Christian school. And the teachers at that school were, were terrific. Pretty much, yeah, all of the teachers that I had, I got great respect for the teachers. They were all of some sort of an evangelical denomination. Um, some were Pentecostal, some were Baptists, but they all they all taught the faith. They all taught Christianity, you know, sort of mere Christianity, if you will, mm-hmm. um, in a way that, that I just ate up. And they, they very much complemented the Catholic faith in terms of their love of scripture and their love of, you know, having a, having a relationship with the Lord and things like that. So it's more complementary complementarity. I'm not, I'm not saying any of this is foreign to Catholicism. It's just, you know, they have a special emphasis on that. Um, interesting enough though, the majority of the school was non-Christian. So I lived in Brampton. And so there's a, there's a large, uh, Sikh and Hindu population in Brampton. So most of my friends growing up in, in, in high school were, uh, I could count the Catholic friends on my hand actually, but I had more, I had some evangelical friends, mostly Sikh or Hindu you know, guys, that that so yeah, yeah. Weird, that yeah. fascinating. Yeah. 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 It, it, that is so different. I think from both Dennis and my experiences, because we both grew up within the, the Catholic school system. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in kind of your, your, your regular Catholic elementary school and Catholic high school, kind of like where, what we teach in now. And Dennis, you grew up, you went to St. Mike's, yeah. which is a yeah, Catholic elementary, Catholic high school, the same thing. I think there wasn't really, a, I mean, we just, I mean, everybody we knew was in Catholic school. Sure. So for your parents, not to not only send you to Catholic school, but for that evangelical school to be mostly made up of non-evangelicals, that's quite a, you've yeah. got quite the a twist oh, there, Father for sure. Yeah. But, but I, yeah. I, I would say that that's maybe more beneficial to your faith in that I feel sometimes that I've just grown up in a bubble. I, I grew up within the, the Catholic bubble uh, of the school yeah. system. And now yeah. I've spent the last 26 years teaching within the Catholic yeah. bubble of, of, of the school system. Yeah, I, I know. And I, I said that to Robert a couple of weeks ago, Father. I don't think I've ever not been in a Catholic institution. Catholic elementary, Catholic high school, St. Mike's down at the University of Toronto. I went to a Catholic university in Australia seminary did some we were in class together yeah yeah we were in class together so everything i so i've lived in that bubble and it it gets back to a point you made a couple of minutes ago about you know maybe converts being those strong catholics myself and robert have immersed in it and we don't really maybe always have that true appreciation because we've just it's the only thing we've known at least for myself how has all of this then led into your discernment process for the priesthood, because like you said, it wasn't until you were in university. So kind of 
after that foundation was built. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how it contributed to my, you know, coming to discern the priesthood or thinking of the priesthood. I'm not going to say there was a clean break from, from high school to university, but when I got to university, that's when I started getting involved with the Catholic crowd. Um, actually, my, the year I ended high school, going into university, I attended World Youth Day in Germany. I went with the group um, that was sponsored by the OCY, the Office of Catholic Youth here in Toronto. So there was about 250, maybe 200, 250 young Catholics, you know. So that was my first exposure to um, more Catholics than I can count on my hand, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was with a great group of people. I was actually with, I traveled, I don't know, Robert, if, if uh, you have any ties. To, I think it's the French parish in Oshawa. Is, Corpus, is it Corpus Christi? Or Christy or Sacre Coeur or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, but it, I, I traveled with a group of those guys. Yeah. And Father Edwin Gonsalves, who's the yep. director of the seminary right now, he was he was in that Eastern Zone kind of thing. So I was yeah, kind he, of in the Eastern crew. So yeah, yeah he was the the pastor at that time. I think of Saint Joseph the Worker Parish. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so just to kind of now make me feel old, is one of our friends actually my my wife's best friend would have been one of your chaperones. So no now, I'm, now I'm feeling really, really old. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well, I thought you were going to say you taught. What's a chaperone? Father... Always a chaperone, though. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you father. You taught Father Edwin Gonzalez. Oh I yeah. No, there's no way you could have. No, taught I didn't. That I didn't teach you know Father that? Edwin. But... Yeah. The opposite is true. So we're um, talking at a university in in, Toronto, in the Toronto area, right, Father? So you go yeah. out between high school and university. You, you go to you know World Youth Day in Germany, and that kind of lights a little bit of a Spark it does. Or? Yeah, even though, you know, I was 18 years old at the time. So really what I was looking for as a, an 18-year-old Catholic boy was a, a nice, you know, 18-year-old Catholic girl. Um, girl yeah. And there's, you know, there's plenty there. But yeah, I guess in some subconscious way, that trip put me on to the idea of, of the priesthood. You know, you're surrounded by priests everywhere and priests from all over the world you know, sisters and nuns and, you know, people in their habits and stuff who are visibly Catholic and laying down their life and, and spending their whole life serving the Lord. So that, that was kind of the first time I had a, a visual of all that. And, and no doubt that that played a role. But what played an even bigger role, I would say, was when I came back from World Youth Day, um, sort of riding the wave of, of that, uh, I enrolled, not enrolled, but I became part of the Catholic group chaplaincy at York University, where, where I went to school. Interesting, the, the chaplain at York University at the time, he was his religious community. I don't know what, what the exact canonical term of it. They're not a religious order, but anyways, he was their former vocation director. So he had vocation pitches, you know, coming out of his, out of his mouth all the time. And, uh, you know, he had his lines ready to go and, and things like that. And I had no idea because I didn't really put the two together. Like he's former vocation director and he's still sort of wearing that hat, you know, uh, just by force of habit. But anyways, he was great. He, he was, uh, along with a, a few other priests at the time, responsible for really opening my eyes to the beauty of the priesthood. And so in my first year of university, I thought, well, these guys are happy. These guys are joyful having given up everything that the world says a guy needs in order to be happy and joyful. And yet they, they still have, they still got something there. So there's, that's weird. You know, that threw my 18, 19 year old mind for a loop. So I thought, 
if they can do it, maybe the Lord is calling me to do the same thing. Maybe, maybe, but I mean, you, you got to give up marriage and you got to do that. So I don't know, man, you know, I mean, a little more hesitant to entertain those thoughts um, at the time. But as the years went by, the feeling kept getting stronger. It wouldn't go away. But um, I was still thinking marriage. I was still, uh, you know, why not? Why not marriage? So I was in a relationship for a while, hoping to take that to, you know, to marriage. But the thought of the priesthood just wasn't going away. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I had to make the choice. And I did. In my last year, next to last year of university, I thought, okay, when I graduate, because this thing's not going away, and it's strangely giving me a sense of peace when I think about it, annoyingly giving me a sense of peace mm-hmm. about it, um, I got to check this out. I just, I just got to because it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel like I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I, if I didn't further um, just, you know. Um, no, I, I, yeah. I completely hear you on that. I don't know how many times we're, uh, have been presented with a discernment process or, or a big decision. And it's kind of like, you know, and, and take it to the Lord and, and in prayer, you know, Lord, this is, this is, these are my choices. And he will point me in one direction. And then in my human foolishness, I'll say, no, Lord, you don't get it. I want to go down this road. And he keeps turning me back down the other road. And I keep saying, Lord, no, give me the wheel. I'm going to go back. And just as you were sharing that, I I was getting goosebumps because I don't know how many times I've wrestled with that. And then when it's finally say, okay, Lord, obviously you have this plan for me. And I'm going to let you take over as scary as it seems. I'm going to let you take over and give you the wheel. And like you say, that sense of peace is absolutely amazing. So so once you, once you did that father, what just quickly, what was the reaction? Like, I mean, that would have been a bit of a shock to certainly maybe some family, some friends. And was it, you know, were they full of supportive? Were they questioning your decision? Were they trying to talk you out of it? What was the reaction for most of no, most of my family on both sides of the family. I mean, I have I have um, family members of various degrees of, you know, involvement in their faith on both sides of the family, and even those who I would say are are you know have have not been in the practice at least the constant practice uh, of their faith have been, if not supportive, then certainly not hostile to the decision. Okay. You know, so. I had no, really no resistance from family and even friends. I mean, I mentioned growing up, most of my friends were either Sikh or Hindu. So um, they might not have fully understood what it entailed, but they certainly respected it when, uh, when they came to find out. Even though I didn't have these thoughts in high school, I still kept in touch with some of my friends afterwards. And some people just thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. I tell them, cool, you do you kind of thing, you know? So. Did, did you have anyone come up to you and say, you know, tell me something we don't know? Like, was there someone who said, yeah, I've seen this coming? Yeah. I mean, there's people that knew before I did, you know. Yeah. There's people who had the visions and say, you know, I saw you. I had a dream about you at the altar kind of thing. And this is before I made this is after the deci- my, my decision to join the seminary. So it's not as if that was sort of like, you know, unnecessarily pressuring me into yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Not that I had to fulfill these prophecies now about me joining the seminary, but and nobody yeah. came up to you and said, you know, what about marriage and family? You were thinking of that, Father. You know, that's not on the table anymore. Was that there was never? Yeah, the question was posed, but it was only the the posing of the question. It, it, it didn't really 
go much further than that. Okay. You know, so it wasn't uh, no heated arguments. No. Yeah, it was. Thank God, really. Uh, I'm really thankful for the smooth transition to the seminary. Right. So uh, you, you do you go to a discernment weekend at St. Augustine Seminary? And for our listeners, St. Augustine Seminary is the seminary for the Toronto Archdiocese. Do you do a weekend there or before you actually make the decision? So what happens for the next little while when you? Yeah, so actually, this is, um, my story is a little more convoluted than I thought. But um, when I decided to join the seminary, it wasn't to be a diocesan priest. It wasn't to join to join the diocesan seminary, mm. which is what St. Augustine's is. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was actually to be part of this religious order that my university chaplain belonged to. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he, you know, turned me on to priesthood. And I thought if I'm going to be a priest, I could see myself being this, the same kind of, the same category of priests as, as mm-hmm. he, right? So that was that was the that was the, the that was the hallway I was walking down, and then I heard there was a come and see a discernment retreat at Saint Augustine Seminary, and I wasn't originally planning on going because I had my mind set on joining this other religious order, but something told me to go, so that I would have the confidence to say, I've been there. And I can shut the door with confidence on the diocese, on the di- on the diocesan priesthood. So I go, and something happened that weekend, and I can't even tell you exactly what it was. I just know that after the weekend, the diocesan priesthood is a thought that would not go away mm. in my mind. Interesting. And it really wasn't much of well, it was a discernment process for sure, whether to join this religious order and or the diocese. But it wasn't painstaking. It was like what it came down to is this. And for anyone watching, maybe maybe uh, you can relate to this. You know, a young guy growing up in the faith. But I grew up in the GTA. I grew up on. I was born and raised on the same street. We moved once as a family, and it was down the street. So the GTA, and I played sports, so I got around Toronto, not just Brampton, where I'm from, but. You know, uh, the greater Toronto area. I grew up here. I know I know the culture here. I know people here. I, I know the language. I mean, obviously, people speak English, but there's just, you know, a, a way of, you know, a slang, if you will, you know, yeah, a yeah. jargon that people speak that I can, I can understand and I can communicate. I'm sort of fluent in. So I thought I, I might be called to bloom where I'm planted. <laughs> and that thought gave me a lot of peace it was just of course like i feel like home i feel like i'm resting in the father's arms and being a diocesan priest whereas thinking of a religious being a religious order priest while it wasn't you know it didn't fill me fill me with dread but i didn't feel quite as home thinking about it, if that makes sense i'm sort of getting to ignore ignatian discernment here you know where you feel like you're like you're in your childhood house So you know you were you were sharing that you're this discernment process and you you went for a, a come and see weekend. I think that's what they still call it, the come and see yeah. weekend at, at Saint Augustine's Seminary. So not just the come and see weekend, but the whole seminary experience. Because and again, you'll have to correct me if because I know I'm wrong, but I believe it's about a four year, four or six year process that you're at the seminary. 
It's even longer, but I like I, like I say, it's not as long as the Jesuits. So yeah. uh, Jesuit, you're in the you're you're in there for like 13 years, yeah. whereas diocesan priesthood, the way it is now, is eight years. Is eight it, years. It, it, so it's it's long. It, it's long. It's uh, you know, you're it's not a it's not a crash course for sure, but it's very thorough. And the way they got it set up now, the first year a guy enters, he's, he's doing his spiritual year. Spiritual so he's year. doing, for all intents and purposes, you're living like like a contemplative monk, you know, for for that first year. Uh, you're not totally cloistered. I mean, you're getting out to do different service projects and things like that, but there's no academics. There's no, you know, papers hanging over your head, that kind of thing. You're just focusing on your spiritual life, your relationship with the Lord and discerning. So um, that's borne a lot of fruit in the recent past in since it's been implemented. So now, was that yeah. always in the first year, Father? No, this is, that's a recent thing. That's like three or four years, really. Okay. Um, right. That came out of the Denver Archdiocese or something, didn't it, Father? The yeah. Yeah. Year, yeah. At least the model that St. Augustine's right. use. I mean, various dioceses have it now. I'm not sure which one started it, but the one we were kind of trading or, or getting our notes from was the Denver. And then you go on to philosophy, I believe. Is that right after your spiritual year? Yeah. So the way it is now, so spiritual year, generally speaking, uh, spiritual year first, and then you. If a man has a degree, like a post-secondary degree, he doesn't need to get a philosophy degree on top of that. What's only necessary is for the guy to get, I think it's eight courses in total in, in philosophy before he goes on to study theology. Okay, so if you had a degree, I think there was a, you were interviewing for the ordinary lunch, a gentleman, uh, a new priest out, out of Kingston who had an engineering degree. Yeah. So he would just yeah, be yeah. required to get the eight credits and then study theology. Yeah, that's been, right. right. Okay. That's right, yeah. I'd like to say, you know, there's there's more um, commonalities amongst the guys, but everyone's got a different story because everyone's coming from a different place. But um, I did two years of philosophy. Like I graduated from York. I have a degree, mm -hmm. Bachelor of Science. So I didn't have to do a philosophy degree, but I did go to the oratory, St. Philip's Oratory, run by the Oratorian Fathers for two years and got uh, what's called a Bachelor of Catholic Thought. It's not a, okay. it's a pontifical degree. It's not a, it's not a, you know, one that's accredited. It gave me what I needed in order to study theology. And so you're, and you're talking about these courses, and I know Dennis uh, took some courses at the seminary. And so outside of sharing the classroom with Dennis at the seminary, Which what was... would be your most memorable <laughs> moment at, at, at the seminary? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one outside of that. Um <laughs> You know, I, not... I think we were just sorry, Father. We were just so blessed as as lay students to be sharing. That was the first time, you know. I think they were just introducing with the Institute of Theology, you know, having the lay people share. And we had a couple of good professors. We had Father Chung. Yeah. We had Dr. Janine Langen. I mean, I yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, very impressed with the with the quality of uh, professorship there. But go on, sorry. Yeah, no, that was a blessed time. Was, actually... Your second highlight of the <laughs> seminary. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's so. When you talk about highlights in the spiritual life, they're so different from from highlights in, in normal life. You know, this is this is in my mind why uh, saint movies don't get very far because a lot of you know a lot of what happens in a saint's life is internal. So how do you make a movie out of that? You know, how do you turn it into something like an event in a, you know as exciting as the Avengers or something like that? It's just not oh, exactly. So I, I would say my the most blessed time I had in the seminary. Well, the, 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 the most, the blessed year would be my spiritual year, you know, because that's, that's where, that's where I got a good hard look at what really counts. And that is my relationship with the Lord. And that's the one thing that sustains me 
I mean, among other things, but that's the main thing that sustains me today. And my love for the, the prayer and, and, you know, presence of the Blessed Sacrament, things like that. And so, so in that, in that, that spiritual year, oh, no, I was going to say in that spiritual year, you're kind of cut off from all kinds of, all different media. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, um, I didn't have as much access to social media back then as we do now. I mean, it's kind of in our face right now, but back then um, there wasn't as many choices to choose from. And there's things like Facebook and stuff, but I still remember, you know, going off the grid as it were in my spiritual year. And it was one of the best things one of the best things ever, you know, yeah. just, uh, and like I say, it's not a, it's, you wouldn't call that a highlight in, in any sort of identifiable way, but certainly, certainly looking back, uh, full of spiritual consolations, you know, like having a beer, a cold beer on a hot day is, is a natural consolation. Spiritual consolations are in a different category. It's hard to explain. They're not obtained in the same way as, as anything else but they're real. And so my year, my spiritual year was full of them. So just to correct that, Father, so so no social media, which was in its infancy, no TV, no newspapers, like none of we that? We had newspapers. We had newspapers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we had newspapers on the table. Okay. Um, it was, the idea was to, to go offline, you know, okay. to, not, to not feel so tied down to your device. And I think uh, that's something that we all need to do. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we, and I know, and I've shared before, like I, I take my students when we can in, in, in the building down to the, the chapel for adoration. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to see teenagers squirm, you have them sit silently for five minutes. And, you know, here you're, you're doing the same thing, but for, for a whole year. But as time progress, I find that, you know, the students and myself too, like my wife and I, we go once a week for a holy hour in adoration and just turning the phone off and not being available and being with the Lord for that hour. Uh, As I've said before on the podcast, getting the hamster wheel to stop spinning in my head probably takes the first 10, 15 minutes of adoration. But once you're able to do that, uh, it's beautiful because you do come into contact with the Lord and you get to know yourself and you get to, to see where you stand before the Lord as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's, um, it's, yeah, it, you, you get to look at the real, you know, what really matters. And I would say that it's one of the best things for your sanctity in that you learn that the world doesn't depend on you. You know, you, you, you learn that the world is going to spin, even if you're off the grid, you know, and That's you, you learn firsthand that it's the Lord who's in charge of things. No I imagine that spiritual year does, I don't want to use the word filter out some gentlemen, but it obviously makes a few guys think about seriously whether or not they're oh, yeah, absolutely. able to go through with the priesthood. Yeah. yeah. So it, re- it really gives a guy a chance to discern properly. And if a right. guy leaves the seminary, the Cardinal is always fond of saying there's two ways that a guy could successfully leave the seminary. If he leaves the seminary or he gets ordained, you know, because both yeah. of those you're leaving the seminary, <laughs> but uh, leaving the seminary after a successful discernment um, and finding out that this is not your calling, that's, hey, there's nothing better than that, you know, for a guy in that position, because he can confidently shut the door on that and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to go through the, the next door that's open. Yeah, he's still, still following the Lord. 
Nice. And, so, and, and using all the tools that he's gained in seminary formation to better himself in whatever the Lord has planned for him. And, and I think you would be one to say that your priestly formation doesn't end at ordination. Right? Your, your, your oh, priestly I, formation yeah. doesn't end when you leave the seminary. If anything, it's probably just it's beginning. beginning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because there's only so much you can study about the priesthood in the seminary. I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta do it. Right. Like hearing confessions, you don't hear confessions any other time, except when you're a priest, you know, dealing pastorally with people. A lot of that happens just as a priest celebrating mass. That's all, that's all post ordination, you know? So right. you're, you're very much learning. My former rector used to have a saying that always stuck with me. He's like, whatever level you reach in life, you're always finding yourself at the bottom in some way, you know? Yeah. And so that's very true for ordination when you, when you get ordained because you're at, you're at the bottom in some ways. I've, I was made vocation director, you know, a year ago. I still feel like I'm at the bottom of this. You know? You're still, still, still learning. Yeah. yeah still learning. You gotta be, you gotta be one of the youngest vocation directors in Toronto history. I'm thinking Father Sean O'Sullivan was pretty young back in the eighties. Yeah, but you have to be one of the youngest, Father. Are you, or if the youngest vocation? Yeah, director? I don't know. Uh, Father Hansu was, well, all the all the vocation directors, with the with the exception of maybe uh, Father Larry Marcel is listening to this. Hope you don't take this the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> we're we're sort of young. I mean, Father Hansu, I think, was in his early thirties when he began um, as vocation director. My vocation director when I started in the seminary. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, I mean. Ideally, in an ideal world, I, I would have liked to get a little more parish experience, you know. Um, but we don't live in an ideal world, you know. Yeah, and, well, you and did have some parish experience as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was great parish experience, I have to say. Especially yeah. because of the teachers in the high school, right? Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the hockey, you know. The, the, the hockey guys. Yeah, well, I, I don't yeah, know yeah. about all, you know, the hockey guys, but that's. Um, but no, and as I was saying, too, like your priestly formation doesn't end at ordination, it's just beginning. And Dennis and I were trying to figure it out. What, what was your ordination year? 2017. 2017. So that's only f four years. Yep. We're, years we're ordained on the on the, the hundred year anniversary of the third appearance of Fatima. So like so, our Lady of Fatima was sort of the theme of our year. Well, May, May, thir we, May 13th, 19th. Uh, yeah, right. In those short four years, you've had, go ahead. Yeah. So, so in, yeah, in those four short years, you were associate pastor at Holy Family, and you were there for one or two years. Two years. Yeah. And then you were at the cathedral for one year. A year, yeah. And now you've been one year as vocations director. Wow. Yep. Close. Close to a year. Yeah. August is when I was appointed. But yeah, it's a full fun. resume, Father, in that short time. Yeah. And, yeah. and you were, and you're saying, like, in in your current role in an ideal world, it would have been nicer to maybe have a little bit more parish experience because that's yeah. where most of the, the guys are going after ordination are going to end up in, in a parish. Yeah. So, so how has each one of those steps kind of been a step up or a scaffolding uh, moving you up the rung just to bring you back to the, to the beginning again? Yeah. Well, I like to think of what I'm doing now um, it's a step over into some other territory. No, I'm not sure how up it is, but um, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's a different it's a different um, 
ministry, type of ministry. You know, a guy enters the seminary as a diocesan seminarian. He ha- he's, he's entering under the assumption that one day he's going to get his own parish and be a diocesan priest, a diocesan right. pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't go in vying for the vocation director's role or vying, you know, uh, saying, I want to go to Rome. That's me, right? Like, I'm going to go to Rome and study. No, if a guy's thinking that as a diocesan seminary, he should take a step back yeah, uh, yeah. from that and, and you know, see where his desires are and things like that. Because if he, if he likes to study uh, and if he likes to be in a leadership position, uh, teaching position, then there are religious orders for that, right? Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't plan on, on doing what I'm doing for sure. But, I, yeah, the, wh- wherever I have been has definitely um, equipped me to do what I'm doing right now. So my first two years were in Holy Family. Fond, fond memories of the place. My pastor, Father Laszlo, who is still currently the pastor at Holy Family. I learned a lot there. I learned a lot. Father Laszlo is a, is, is a great pastor. Uh, he works you hard, though. And that was one of the lessons that I learned. And I think, I'm not saying I'm the hardest worker right now, because I'm not. But whatever work ethic I have right now, I learned, you know, uh, from my time at Holy Family. Because there's just so much going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Big every night of the week, every night of the week, there was always something going on. Yeah, it's a very busy parish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bother so I, I, I appreciated that that rhythm, even though it was at times it was just you know felt overwhelming at times and overwhelming in a good sense because it, it was all pastoral stuff, you know. And you had a number of schools that you visited, including ours at the time, Father. Yeah. as well, right. Yeah. So you were yeah. you were on your the toes, you were constant. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, that, and I could talk more about how the experience there just really prepped me for, for what, where I am now. I'll say this, Father Laszlo really taught me that the norm is failure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like success is kind of the exception to the rule. So don't be afraid to try stuff. You know, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Don't, don't be afraid, you know, get, let's, let's, sort of weed out that perfectionist tendency that you know you have and just just get to work and leave leave all the results into the hands of the lord if it doesn't work then you learn something along the way you can always learn something along the way so that that mentality is something that was reinforced in my time at holy family that's nice yeah and so then the cathedral was almost like a vacation for you it was different <laughs> it was different it was busy in a different sense you know yeah. uh the cathedral and i'm very happy to be here you know, it's, 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 an Who wouldn't awesome be? it's, a, it's a beautiful building. Yeah. It, yeah. So during the pandemic, when we didn't have church, I mean, one of the silver linings for me was having a whole empty cathedral, you know, uh, to myself and just going for walks, you know, rosary walks within the cathedral and, and, uh, discovering how awesome the acoustics are in an empty cathedral. And yeah. I thought, Hey, maybe I can make, do something with this, you know, musically. So, um, but the, in, in terms of ministry, it's sacrament central, you know, mass, confession, you know, it's where people go to get a spirit. They, they come from different areas of the GTA, maybe different areas of the country. They go to the cathedral, they'll go to mass, they'll go to confession, they'll light their prayer candle, you know, that, that whole sort of spiritual boost, that spiritual uplifting experience. And so that's what the priests at the cathedral are there to serve, you know? So we, we get a lot of confessions, you know? Never heard so many confessions before in my life, but wow. hey, I gotta say, it's 
along with celebrating the Mass, it is probably the most uh, um, life-giving part of the ministry as a priest. You know, I could have a horrible day. If I've heard someone's, conf if I heard a good confession, it's like it was worth it. The day was totally worth it, you know, so. That, yeah. that is that is so beautiful. That yeah, is so beautiful. Nice. Just that the dispensing of our Lord's healing grace. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in a new position now, Father. You're the vocations director. So what? I don't know if you're living at like Sarah House or where where you actually live at this time. But what what's your day to day like? What does it look like as vocations director of probably? Well, obviously the biggest archdiocese in in Canada, probably like I'm thinking top five in North America for sure. Like it's it's a pretty busy place. Yeah. To be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what the normal everyday life of vocation director entails because it's been such a, a weird year, you know? So I can only speak from my experience uh, of what I've been doing thus far. And like everyone else, it's a ton of online work, um, meeting guys via Zoom, phone calls and things like that, especially when, when the lockdowns were really tight. But I have to say the silver lining in that is that there's been quite a bit of response from guys to want to discern in a concrete way. Maybe not yet the priesthood, but just, for example, uh, we're running various online discernment groups geared towards just giving guys some tools on how to discern properly, you know, and discern effectively. There's been a lot of response to that. And guys are coming from all over the city, you know, just meeting by the click of a button. And we're discussing about deep things, praying, doing some Lexio Divina together. Not ideal for sure, but... It's, uh, it's a great way to have a meeting in a pinch. So there's been a lot of that going on. And I'm, I'm like I say, doing a lot of online work. I could talk at nauseam about how, you know, uh, my daily life is as a vocation director right now. But what I will say, and this is probably the, I'll, I'll end this segment sort of with this realization is that throughout this whole pandemic, I really came, it was like another spiritual year. I really came to understand the essence of the priesthood or a better understanding of the essence of the priesthood. And that's to be a companion to Christ, a friend of, of the Eucharistic Christ, more, most specifically. That's what, that's, that's my job. That's my vocation. Everything else flows from that. And it, it's all about you being a friend to Christ, you know, being a companion to a consoler of the sacred heart of, of the Lord. That's, that's the priesthood, really. Yeah. And, and, and we we tend to forget that sometimes that it's, it's not about the numbers. Yeah. Because we could say like Dennis was saying, it's the, the largest archdiocese in the country. One of the, one of the largest across the, the continent. And we're only seeing a handful of ordinations every year. And you kind of say, well, for such a large archdiocese, how come there's only, you know, less than a dozen, half a dozen, or, or even less. And like Dennis said, right off the top too, that, you know, at the ordinations this year out of St. Augustine's Seminary, I think half of them were for dioceses outside of Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to think that the Lord is still calling the same number of guys to the, yeah. to the priesthood. And, and one can walk down the, the hallways, uh, the, that hallway that leads from the, the entrance vestibule down the side of the chapel at the seminary to the 
cafeteria at the back and there's all the yep. graduation pictures. Right. All right. And the black and white ones, like they're huge. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the, you get to the color graduation pictures. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers, uh, <laughs> like three guys. <laughs> those post-World War II ones, there's a big number of those early fifties ones. Father. Yep. There's a yeah, lot sure. of guys. For sure. And, yeah. But I, I like to think that the Lord is still calling the same number of guys, but they're, they're just not necessarily hearing the call. Yeah, the issue's not with God. The issue's not with God, for sure, you know? I mean, he's always always calling people to the priesthood. He's always asking people to pray, you know, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers. So he's, like I say, that the issue is not with God, but very quite often, and I don't need to tell you guys this, but we're surrounded by a lot of distractions and noise, and it makes it really difficult for a guy to listen. And and that comes back, you were sharing your own discernment process, your own discernment to to the priesthood, where you were going through university and you were looking at, you know, a career in kinesiology and you were, you know, discerning a call to marriage and kept wanting to go one way and, and, and the Lord calling you back the other way. And so I just wonder, uh, is that a reason too, why we're seeing so many late vocations? A lot of guys come to the priesthood, at least from what I've seen in recent yeah. years, uh, where a number of the guys being ordained when you look at their bios they already had another career and they followed that mm-hmm. career path mm-hmm. and finally i guess listen or, or or heard the the calling yeah yeah we're hearing a lot of voices from the world you know there's a lot of like i see distractions and you know things to attract the guy and good things too not not mm-hmm. not bad things but it's it just you know i think guys a lot of guys have tried their hand in different areas and they become, you know, disenchanted with, with certain things. And I mean, that takes time. And so they, they reach a point in their life where they're like, well, I, I've tried everything and it just doesn't satisfy me. So, Hey, maybe I am called to the priesthood kind of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, perhaps one of the reasons for uh, quote unquote later vocations. But I will say that a lot of guys, not a lot. Well, I'd say maybe a good mix of guys are in sort of the the university range. You know, okay. like the church goes through different phases. I mean, way back in the day, it was high school. We used to have high school seminaries all over the place. Um, now it's mostly the guys in university because that's when that's when the vocation questions come up, right? And uh, the stress of life starts to really weigh in on you. You know, when you're kind of in high school, you're just worried about being a student and that's it. But when you're in university, you're worried about what am I going to be doing for the rest of my life? So, yeah, a lot of the guys in the discernment groups that we're running now are in that they come from university chaplaincies, which is no surprise to me. So then how do we encourage those vocations, Father, within our families, parishes? We all know young people at that particular age, whether it's religious life, you know, becoming a a sister, a a nun, you know, the priesthood, you know, is there anything we can do or our listeners can do to kind of encourage those particular vocations? Well, I I can tell you what worked for me. It was uh, one of the things that was sort of turning point in my just coming to discern the priesthood was a conversation that I had with an older gentleman. We were just talking and, you know, the faith came up and towards the end of the conversation, he said, "Uh, you ever thought about becoming a priest? You know, because I think you make a good one, you know, based on why not you, you know, based on this conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, 
he didn't really know who I was. He didn't have a vested interest in me. And he wasn't like my dad or someone who was close enough to be, for me to be suspicious, you know, of what he said and, and uh, sort of could be like the rebellious teenager to anything that he said. No, he, he was, he had a disinterest, you know, in, in the best sense of that word. And so that him posing the question, have you ever thought about becoming a priest? That was, uh, that was pretty, looking back, that was pretty powerful. Interesting. Yeah, amongst other so things. It didn't scare you off or push you away? That was a question that you felt, hey, let's no. pause no. for thought. Well, to be honest, I didn't have a leg to stand on because we were talking about the faith and I was I was kind of excited about what I was talking about and things like that. So he, he did ask the question, have you ever thought about becoming a priest? And I thought, no, I, I, I couldn't lie and be like, no, I'd be horrible at it. You know, I don't know anything about the faith, nothing, you know, I'm not, <laughs> you know, uh, that sort of thing. But it didn't scare me off. And perhaps because uh, there was a bit of anonymity there. Like he didn't really know me all that much and I didn't know him. So that might've helped. So you never know planting these seeds, you know, you're asking, how can we, how can, how can we foster vocations? Well, that's what did it. For, that's one of the things that did it for me. It was a conversation, a casual conversation and the question at the end of it. And, and have you ever crossed paths since? No, no. no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nope. He was one of those, he might not have been human. He might, might've been an angel for, I know, for all I know, yeah. you know, could be. Exactly. It could be a listener. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be a listener. If you're out there, thank you, thank you, sir. I don't even know what your name is. <laughs> so you know, and and that's it. That's our role. Sometimes yeah. is to plant the seeds, uh, but it's the Holy Spirit that will water them, and someone else will see the bloom. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. Right. Now you were talking a little bit about uh, the acoustics in the cathedral before. Yeah. Yeah. Now, having played hockey with you, having been a defenseman against you, I know how soft your hands are. And because when you get in and around the net, you're able to pick the corners and, and you have a, a, a special talent on the ice. And, and you are a member also of the Flying Fathers hockey team. Uh, and I know, too, with the other teachers and when we were playing hockey, they, they were always excited to see you out there. They thought that was pretty, pretty cool that. You know, the, the local priest is coming out on a Tuesday afternoon to play in our little beer league hockey thing. But I also learned, again, through this whole pandemic, when everything was shut down, uh, what a talented musician you are as well. Right? As you were putting out there on YouTube, the, the violin concertos. So there was, there was you know, a, a violin concert. It was like there was a number of different violinists but it was all father matt that, that was that was playing yeah, multi-screened yes so how did that idea even come about very interesting so when i was the associate i was still associate of the cathedral i wasn't vocation director yet part of my ministry was um what we call the 50 plus group Okay, so, um, so, so that would, that would, uh, that would be you, Dennis. At the, at the beginning of that, I wasn't quite in the 50-plus group just yet. But you're there now. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I, even, even if that's the technical age range, the majority of the participants were 70-plus, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, they weren't getting out of their houses at all, really. So I just wanted, I wanted to do something. And I was walking around in the cathedral, and uh, like I, I alluded to already, I thought, wow, there's, I'm probably never going to get this opportunity again to take advantage of an empty cathedral and the, the acoustics that that offers. 
So I decided to make uh, a, a music video, a violin piece, just a, a two-part harmony thing, and send it off to the 50-plus group. One of the members of the 50-plus group shared that video with the accountant at the time of the cathedral, who himself is, um, is a non-Christian, a different faith entirely. And uh, it was through him that uh, sort of the video, I guess, sort of went viral, even though it's, I mean, viral is like millions of views, but it didn't do that. But it certainly went a little further than the 50 plus group, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how it started. Yeah, it was uh, the nudging of, of you know, a non-Catholic here at the cathedral, uh, and, overhearing this. So. And do you do all of the production work yourself on those? Uh, the ones on the violin, yeah. Uh, just can, kind of tinkering with iMovie on my my uh, my iPad, sort of the thing. Um, there's more I could be doing with it, I guess. But it sounds sounds okay for what I use it for now. It sounds other, fantastic. It doesn't sound okay. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, the technology makes it easy. I have to say. Um, the the other videos um, where sort of I'm singing alongside other priests. Um, I'm flipping those videos off to to someone who knows how to do the thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. I'm not as good as I'm better at the violin than at, at the voice. So the the voice needs a little more patching up, and for that, I that's that's beyond my pay grade. So I send it to someone who knows how to to make us sound uh, you know, presentable. Nice. <laughs> at least there, 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 there's no amount of money in the world to help make either myself or Dennis sound decent either. So, oh no. That's so. Uh, and, and basketball you said was, I remember you talking when you came in to talk to our students, you spoke to, you know, our students when you were in the seminary, I know basketball is always a first love of yours. Raptors didn't do too well this year, father, but um, don't tell me you play golf. Cause that will really upset me. If, if you're a good golfer too, that will just, put I'll put it this way. I play golf, but I'm not a golfer. All right. Oh, okay. So uh, big difference. So yeah, I'm trying I'll to get, get Father Chris Chris out. I'm, a, I'm right a priest, like how you know, it just kind of comes with the territory. Um, yeah, it does. All yeah. the old movies of uh, priest golfing, right? Yeah, yeah. Between all of this evangelization work that you do, whether it's you know through the office of vocations, through the through the music videos, uh, or through sports, and, and again too, just your presence in the change room at hockey was an evangelizing experience when. Uh, I can attest to because I'm in that room when you're not there and I'm in that room when you are there and the, the, the tone is definitely different. And if we could all be that person that when you walk into a room, people change their tone, Christ is going with you. So if there are some young men in the, the Archdiocese of Toronto that are listening in and they are hearing that call of the Holy Spirit, if that, that seed has been planted and they are discerning a possible call to the priesthood, whether it's diocesan or to a religious community, how would they get in touch with, with yourself? Certainly, the phone lines are open, absolutely open. And uh, I don't have the number memorized, but I mean, it's, uh, it, it's on our website. You're free to call me, but uh, I can count the number of phone calls on my hand, you know, uh, throughout the course of really a month that I get regarding anything having to do with vocations, because I guess the mode of communication now is mostly email mm -hmm. um, or uh, through Facebook or Instagram or, you know, any, uh, any one of these social media things or word of mouth. So um, most, most conversations I've had regarding vocations are, you know, through, through the email. So we have uh, on our website, vocations vocationstoronto.ca we've got a box in the bottom free to email me 
and and I'll, I will definitely get back to you for sure. But that's that's been the main mode of, of communication so far. Yeah, times yeah. are different. Times are different now. Like you said, yeah. you you can't get out into the parishes. You can't you know have guys come up and, and, and chat with you. So it's vocationstoronto.ca. Yeah, is the you know what? I, I got I got to say just one more thing. You know, it's it's so funny when I do go to parishes to talk on vocations. You see, before I was a vocation director, I'd do the preaching for a weekend. And, um, you know, people would come up and say, hi, glad to hear you talk, Father. That was great. Thanks. You know, made me think kind of thing. As a vocation director now, I go to the back of the church. No one comes up. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I had a guy, I had a guy, he came up to me. He's a, he's a dad of like eight kids or something like that. And they were all sitting in the front pew. He comes up to me and says, oh, Great to see you, Father. Just ask you to pray for my son, so-and-so. We think he might have a vocation to the priesthood. And I'm like, great. I'll be praying for him. Where can I meet him? I assume he was here at Mass with you. And he's like, yeah, he's right in the parking lot. Uh, that guy way over there, you know, kind of in the, in the far distance. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. I, I ran away from my vocation director yeah. too, you know. So. Well, and, and, and like you said as well, when you were asked the question, are you thinking of the priesthood? It wasn't coming from your dad. I'm sure if it was coming from your your dad, from your father, you'd be running out to the the parking lot as well. And I know if I were to ask the same question of my son, too, he'd look at me and uh, and he's out (laughs) out the door, right? Yeah, yeah. I would have become a priest in spite of that, not because of that. Just because you asked dad, it's not going to happen. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, father, it's been great catching up. Oh, like it's, it's been so, it's been so long and part of it is that because we can't get down into Toronto to to the cathedral or to see you the time like when I'm chatting with Dennis that the time is just flowing by and I, I feel that we almost need to get together again this way or as things are opening up hopefully in, in person we can get ourselves out of the suburbs and into downtown we'll definitely drop you a line it's oh, been, yeah, definitely yeah. felt yeah. like a catch-up session rather than a podcast it's been a lot of fun father you've set the standard for our uh, future guests it's been enjoyable for the since the first time we saw you about eight years ago listen it's just like talking to an old friend so thanks so much for joining the two likewise, of us uh, likewise. this afternoon yeah hopefully we'll be able to, to to get to chat again coming up and i know dennis you and i will be will be chatting god willing we'll be able to chat again next week in the meantime though we ask our listeners to remember the wise words of gk chesterton in Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. Thank you for listening in. God Thanks bless. Thanks so much, Father. Thanks, guys.